Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 11. I think I said Hilton a minute ago. It's Hilmer. I knew that. You knew. <laughs> you wonder, who's he talking about? It's Hilmer. <laughs> Sorry about that. Wrote it down wrong and everything. So, oh man. Too young for things to start slipping. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. <clears throat> All right, Matthew 12. But we're going to start in chapter 11. I just wanted you to see the last three verses of chapter 11. <clears throat> and then we'll, uh, we'll go right into chapter 12 in the latter part of it, actually. <clears throat> so our series is Jesus is King. That's the book of Matthew. He's presenting Jesus as King and, and calling all people to accept him. And so look what Jesus said, though, in verse number 28. The choir special just reminded me of this, and it was already in, in my notes but verse number 28 of Matthew 11 says, Jesus speaking, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm glad he said, coming to me, all ye. I'm glad he didn't say, coming to me, some of you. I'm glad he said, coming to me, all ye. And that's what he's saying today. It's the same message we're trying to get across here this morning. Now take your Bible and turn to Matthew 12 and verse 38. That's actually where we are in our series. It's been a little while since we've been in the Gospel of Matthew in the Sunday morning series, so we're getting back into that. We had a good missions conference last week, sure rejoicing in the Lord's blessings on our church family there. So Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 38, it says this, Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. <clears throat> like they hadn't already. I mean, what more do you want? Right? We would see a sign from thee. Sincere or insincere, do you think? Insincere. Yeah, you can pick up on it. All right, now look what it says. And Jesus saw right through their request, or actually their, rather their demand. But he answered and said unto them, verse 39, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. Jonah. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the well's belly. You say, did that really happen? Jesus said it did. I'm going to go with what Jesus said. The well's belly. So shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. Behold, a greater than Jonas is here. The queen of Sheba. Sorry, the queen of the south. <laughs> you know her as queen of, the Sheba, of Sheba too, right? The queen of the south. 
She shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Now look at the illustration that Jesus gives. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places and seeketh rest and findeth none. Then, saith, then he saith, I will return into my house. That'd be the body that he had just possessed or was a part of or inhabited. I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he has come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Well decorated, tidy, tidy. You follow me? Then goeth he, it says in verse 45, then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits or demonic beings, seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Now, notice what Jesus says right here. And this is really the key to that passage. In fact, even to this whole section, even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. He had just described that evil and adulterous generation. He's still on the topic. This is all connected. Even so shall it be. So we need to understand this. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. While he yet talked, so we're going to keep reading because the context keeps going. Verse 46, while he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood, where does it say? Without desiring to speak with him. They thought they had a little inroad with Jesus because of their family connection. Maybe he'll show us a little preferential treatment right here. Then said one, then one said rather unto him, I'm in verse 47 now, behold, thy mother and thy brethren, are st they stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto them, uh, he answered and said unto him that told him, who is my mother? <laughs> and who are my brethren? I love this. Look, look, look at how similar this is to the last part of chapter 11, like what, what we just read. And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold my mother and my brethren. Look at the next two words. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. Isn't that wonderful? I like it. Whosoever will. The title of the message here this morning is, is this, simply this, one sign will do. Just one sign. That's really all we need. One sign will do. That'll do. You ever say that? That'll do. Just one sign will do. What does God have to do to impress you? Did you think about that with me here just a moment? What does God have to do to impress you? Father, I want to pray one more time, just um, somewhat of a challenging passage. 
and always in need of your help to preach and convey what is in your word. I just want to pray that you'd use this passage as you intended it to be used. I pray as you have preserved it for us to understand and to preach and to apply. <clears throat> I pray that you'd help to get that across. And I thank you for everyone that's here. And I, I know today that I am preaching predominantly to those that are brethren and sisters and mothers in the sense like what Jesus said. They are believers. But Lord, even if, there are just one, if there's just one here that has not personally trusted Christ, I pray that you'd speak to them at this very moment. I would anticipate that there might be others. I pray that everyone, I pray God that you'd help everyone to take personal assessment to make sure that they have indeed believed and have received the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For we know that the wages of sin is death, but that the gift that you give is eternal life through Him. And so I want to make that clear today. I know that many already know it. I pray they would not grow weary or tired of it, but that we might resound with thanksgiving for your salvation, because we don't deserve it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing for a good little while there. Imagine that it's your, uh, your son or your daughter's 16th birthday, and you've got the cake, families gathered, uh, phones are out, videos are being taken, and and uh, uh, you've, they've been through the process of, of um, you know, driving with the permit. Now they're ready to get their license. It's not a real life story here that I'm about to tell. But, um, and uh, you've gone to the trouble of, um, you know, purchasing a vehicle and it's sitting out in the driveway and, and, um, and you've got the keys, you know, in a little box and it's wrapped and there's a bow on it. And, and maybe they've opened up other cards and gifts and clothes and things of that nature. But there's one special gift that you've got left for them. And so you've got that all ready to go and you've presented it to them and they open it up and they see car keys there. And then they say, show me a sign. Show me a sign that you want me to have a car. Now, what 16-year-old, I mean, really, most 16-year-olds are going to fall apart and they're going to be excited about it and they're going to rush out to the, I mean, you're probably going to have some pretty good videos right there. Am I right about that? Going to have some pretty good videos. And yet they say, no, show me a sign. I mean, the birthday cake is there. I mean, they just took some bites of it and ice cream and everything. I mean, it's evident. I mean, it's even it's their birthday. It's obvious that it was intended for them. Or let's change the scenario here just a little bit. I realize, I mean, that's totally ludicrous and that's the whole point of it. If you got the point of that just doesn't make any sense at all, then you got the point of my homemade illustration. Thank you. Let's change the scenario a little bit. You've been uh, dating this young lady for a good little while and, and uh, you've asked her dad's permission because that's what you ought to do. And, and, and um, otherwise you might hear ch-ch-ch. Right. But 
But anyways, uh, you know, you've gone to the, the trouble of making sure it's okay, and you've got to know her. She's been able to get to know you. You've, you've been together. You've been over to her family's house. She's been to your house, and, and now you've got this nice meal planned, and, and you know, others are there to kind of capture the moment, and, and you've got the ring. <laughs> you've been to the jewelers. You asked Dad again. You asked her if... You could have her hand in marriage. And I mean, everything is just right. It's evident that you're the one for her. She's the one for you. And, and you get down on one knee and you ask her, would you be my wife? And she says, show me a sign. <laughs> show me a sign. Convince me. Listen, darling, there's a thousand dollar ring right there. <laughs> I don't know how much they run now, but... Uh, <laughs> what do you mean show you a sign? It doesn't make sense given all that's already been done leading up to that point. But I'm telling you this morning, that's exactly where the Jewish leaders were. They'd already heard his words. They'd seen his signs. They'd, they'd been through so much. I mean, just being around Jesus even. And, and, but here's what the Bible says in John 1 and verse 11. He came unto his own but his own received him not. That's sad, isn't it? It's very sad. Um, what we're looking at here is we're in chapter 11 and chapter 12 is, is really this in many ways. It's the anatomy of unbelief. It's, it's, it, it's what makes up unbelief. It's, it's really... Um, Matthew saying, listen, uh, here's how Jesus was born. That's way back in chapter one and two. And, and here is Jesus on the scene. John the Baptist has come and preached that he would, would come. And, and, G and John the Baptist even pointed to him. And, and then in Matthew chapter number four, you have Jesus tempted. Matthew chapter five, six and seven. You have him preaching a powerful sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And, and then you, in chapter 8 and chapter number 9, you see him healing the blind, healing the lame, healing the deaf, and, and uh, casting out demonic beings. I mean, we, we've studied all those things. And you have him explaining to his disciples that, that not everybody's going to believe, not everybody's going to receive. And, and, and so then you have chapter 11, and even John the Baptist is doubting him, kind of having a difficult time, because even as believers... Am I right? Even as believers, we hit some spots where if you are who you said you were, then why is this happening? You've been there before? I'm sure you have. And if not, then, then, then you will be and, and we will be again. And so that's where John the Baptist was. And on into chapter number 11, uh, Jesus is saying, woe unto Chorazin and woe unto Bethsaida because if the works had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, then they would have repented long ago. And, and so he's making the point that regardless of how much light of revelation has been shown to some, they still stay in unbelief. Chapter number 12 began with, with um, Jesus, uh, his disciples, being criticized because they took grain and they made uh, something they could eat on the Sabbath day. And the Pharisees were all bent out of shape about that. And, and, and then he cast out, this is very important to the rest of what we're going to consider today. He cast out a demonic being in the synagogue of a man uh, that had had, had this, this demonic being and he wasn't able to speak or able to, to, uh, to see and, and he cast that demonic being out and was healed. The problem was he did it on the Sabbath day. And they said he did this by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of the demons. Well, 
they're falsely accusing God. They're saying that God, Jesus, is, is using demonic power to cast out Satan. And Jesus says, if a house is divided against itself, shall it stand? In other words, he's saying this makes no sense that Satan would cast out Satan. But here's what has happened, that, that if you don't bind the strong man, then you can't spoil his house. But he's indicating there that he, as Jesus, has bound the strong man, namely the devil, and he spoiled his house and he cast out that demonic being. And, and the Pharisees and the scribes had seen all this, heard all this, and still they said, had really, I'd say, the audacity to say, show us a sign and we'll believe. Are you with me? Anybody else here hard-headed? Aren't you glad that God still loves hard-headed people? <laughs> He's slow to anger, but he doesn't mince words, does he? Show us a sign that we may believe. Show us, give us, give us, the idea is this, give us some clear indication that you're from heaven. Give us some irrefutable proof that you are indeed the Messiah. We, Jesus, we need to see your divine credentials. You know, if they had only read their Bible, they would have seen he is who he said he was. They were not sincere. Mark 8 in verse 11 tells us, I'm just going to read this for you. It says, the Pharisees came forth. It's the parallel passage of this. They came forth and began to question him, seeking of him a sign from heaven. Here's the next two words, tempting him. Tempting him, trying to trip him up. Tempting him. Listen, their demand for a sign revealed their unbelief. It revealed their unbelief. They were not sincerely seeking him. Now, listen, I, I want to be clear here this morning because you may have a lot of questions and, and, and I know mo many of you have grown up in church, and, but there are people here that are just getting into church. We want you to know, God, because God wants you to know, you ought to ask, be able to ask any question you want to and somebody be able to take the Bible and show you from God's word. So this is not in any wise discouraging any of you to ask questions. Listen, ask away because that's the way that you learn. But Jesus is saying they're not being real sincere here in asking this question. Here's what they, here's what they want. They want to believe, but they want to believe on their terms. That's our problem too, isn't it? We want to believe. Oh yeah, I'll believe you, God, as long as you meet my expectations. I'm going to believe it's going to be on my terms. Let me, let me just ask this. This is, uh, this is on our way to where we're going. What does God have to do before you'll trust him? Everybody listen to this here this morning. What does God have to do before you'll trust him? Does he, does he have to fix the situation before you're going to trust him? H Hello. Hey, I, I, know we, I know we lost an hour of sleep last night. Don't make it up right now. Don't make it up like right now. No, no. Some of you already, you made it up like weeks ago. You slept in church a few weeks ago. So you, you, lost, you, you gained it then. <laughs> huh? 
What does God have to do for you to trust him? Does he have to fix your marriage? Does he have to fix your finances? Does he have to fix our country before we go back to believing God? How about we just believe God because of who he is and what his word reveals about him? Even if, even if he doesn't change our situation, he's still trustworthy, isn't he? And, and so we don't need to set up these expectations. I want to read a little bit to you here. One man said this, unwilling to accept what they'd already seen, they asked him for more. Their heart, Jesus said, was adulterous because rather than admit it, they pretended, they pre rather than admit it, they pretended they didn't have enough evidence. He said they pretended they didn't have enough evidence on which to make a decision. And, and then, listen, I, I, I realize somebody maybe needs some things to be explained to them. In fact, I think that we need to be very thorough in our explanations rather, as to what it means to be a sinner, what it means to need salvation, what it means to be born again. We need to explain those things very, very clearly. That's not the issue here. But here it is. They had enough evidence to go on, and yet they're still stubborn in their heart. In fact, he went on to say this, underneath intellectual doubt, there is sometimes, he says not always, but underneath intellectual doubt. Some of you maybe know somebody. It could be a family member. It could be a teacher, a professor. It could be a coworker. It could be somebody that says, you know, I just, I just have a hard time believing that. But listen to what he said. Underneath intellectual doubt, there is sometimes a heart that does not want to know the answer. There's sometimes a heart that does not want to know the answer because if that answer is what they fear it might be, that he is actually who he said he was, there's a lot of things that need to change in their life. And they do not want to accept that. That might be you today. It may be that, that you're here yet in unbelief. You're skeptical. You're, you're, you're maybe uh, uh, hesitant to really buy into this, to really give your life to Jesus or to, or to trust him as your personal Lord and Savior. I, I want to tell you today, you, you need to be able to go back to a time and place, though you may not be able to remember the exact date, but you ought to be able to say it was about right here. You could, should be able to draw a circle where you personally trusted Jesus as your Savior. I could take you back to the second floor of Grace Baptist Church in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And I can show you just about the place where that old folding, uh, that metal folding chair sat as I understood that I was a sinner and that I was on the wrong road. And as age eight years old and the teacher asked, if you're here today, and you don't know for sure that, that you're on your way to heaven, would you raise your hand? And I raised my hand that day. And right there in my metal folding chair, I didn't even get up and go forward. I didn't even let anybody know about it except God. And I said this, God, I'm a sinner and I'm on the wrong road, would you save me and put me on the right road? I did not understand everything about theology. I did not understand his hypostatic union. I did not understand repentance and, and regeneration. I could not for sure spell those words. But here's what I knew. I knew I was a sinner. I knew Jesus was the Savior. I knew he died on the cross, was buried and rose again. And I knew he'd save anybody that would call upon him. And that's what I did in childlike faith. Have you done that? Have you done that? Are you saying, no, I'm waiting for more proof and evidence as to who he is? Listen, friend, you don't really need any more proof and evidence. You just need to believe who he is based on who his, what his word says. But here they were. They, they were skeptical of him. And they said, show us a sign. We demand that you show and prove to us that you are the Messiah. Well, Jesus is no circus performer, friend. 
He doesn't go by everybody's whims and everybody's wishes. He doesn't gratify the appetite for signs and wonders. Boy, aren't we living in a day and time when people are hungry for signs and wonders and, and all kinds of bizarre happenings. And they, they, they need that, they say. I need to see that so that I trust God. How about we just take him at his word right here? It gives evidence that they're not really serious about spiritual things. I want to ask you today, are you serious about spiritual things? In fact, let me say it to you this way today. You need to be more, accept, you need to be more concerned about him accepting you than you accepting him. I, I appreciate I have the students in the pastoral class. They read uh, the best of A.W. Tozer. And one of my favorite chapters I read is, is when A.W. Tozer takes to task uh, some of the terminology that we just kind of throw around about accepting Christ. You really don't see that terminology in the New Testament. You see this, you see believing and you see receiving, but you don't see accepting. Accepting conveys this idea. I'm going to judge you. And if I think you pass the bar, then I'll accept you as though Jesus is standing there with his hat in his hand, hoping that you'll accept him. Hey, listen, friend, given who he is and how holy and righteous he is and the fact that you're going to stand before him someday, you better be concerned as to whether or not he'll accept you. And there's only one basis on which he'll accept you. Does that make sense? I'm not against the terminology accepting Christ as long as you qualify it and explain it. And that's what he said too. Anyways. Jesus said they were an evil and adulterous generation. Evil describes their nature. They were sinful in their hearts. The previous verses, as he talks about the heart and, and about the tree that brings forth corrupt fruit because of its corrupt root. He says they're evil and they're adulterous. Why does he say adulterous? Well, because he's speaking to the Jews. He's speaking to these Israelites, this, the, the people of Israel who were in a covenant relationship with God but who had gone outside of that covenant relationship to gods and goddesses and the people of the land. Am I telling the truth there about that? You know the Old Testament. You know that they are an adulterous people trying to find satisfaction outside of what God was providing. Even still, they were still trying to get away around God. But friend, listen, you're not going to be able to do that. You're only going to find satisfaction in Him. They were an adulterous generation in that they were unfaithful to God. Give us a sign and we'll believe. Give us a sign. Jesus says there will no sign be given except the sign of Jonas. As Jonah, can I use Jonah? As Jonah was three days, three nights in the, in the belly of the whale, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. Three days, three nights. Now, what's he talking about right there? Well, first of all, he's talking about how that Jonah, the Old Testament prophet Jonah, was disobedient and he, because of his own sin, was cast overboard and spent three days, three nights in Well University. Learning in the school of hard knocks that you can't disobey God and get away with it, right? And then he was spit upon the earth and he went and preached to the Ninevites. Jesus says, as he was in the belly of the well, so the Son of Man himself will be in the heart of the earth. Now, let me, let me, just, let me just spend just a little bit of time on this and no doubt more time could be spent. But suffice it to say this, when he says the heart of the earth, 
This is not Jesus saying that he would go to the center of the earth and burn in the flames of hell. Charismatic theology teaches that. Charismatic theology teaches that there was this big wrestling mess, this big battle in the hearty earth between Jesus and the, and, and the devil, and Jesus whooped him and got the keys and came out victorious. It makes for some wild preaching, but it doesn't make for Bible preaching. Well, who should settle this then? Where was Jesus while his body was in the ground, in the, in the earth rather, in the tomb? We know where his body was. Where was his spirit? Well, what did Jesus say? Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. What did he say to the thief who was repented? He said, today thou shalt be with me where? In paradise. So where was Jesus' spirit and soul when his body was in the tomb? He was back with the Father just like he said he would be. There's not anything weird about this. So anyways, what Jesus is basically saying though is this. He's saying just like there was three days, three nights, and then we could get off on that, couldn't we? Is it three literal days, 24-hour days? I'm just going to go with what Jesus said. He said three days, three nights, he was in the heart of the earth. Three days, three nights, he was in the grave. And then on that Sunday morning, he came forth from the grave triumphant. And so here's the sign. Here is, listen, hang on just a minute. Here is the objective sign for you to believe that he is who he said he was. In fact, if he did not rise again, don't believe anything else that he said. There is a difference between subjective truth and objective truth or subjective proofs and objective proofs. You say, man, you lost me right there. Okay, here's basically what it means. Subjective truth or experiences or proof is based on your experiences. Some of the cults of the world, false religions of the world, rely on subjectivity in their followers because they say things like this. If you'll read the Book of Mormon, God will show you that it's true. Even though it denies what's there in the Bible, even though it contradicts that, Muslims say the same thing. If you read the Quran, the Quran Allah will show you that it's true. Listen, that is subjective truth. Anybody, oh, mercy. Brother Ted, I probably don't have time to preach all this, but listen to the Jude series that he just preached. But anybody could have any kind of experience and say they had an experience. I had an experience, I saw an 80-foot Jesus. Well, who can refute that? Anybody with good sense, but that's subjective. Jesus said this. Jesus said, here's the only reason you should believe me. If I'm crucified and I'm buried and I come forth alive, and if people see me alive, then that is objective. That means it's an object. You can see it. You can touch it. You can feel, feel it. You can observe it. It's observable. And that's the reason I'm saying this morning, that is the one sign, that's the only sign really that we need. I'm glad that he healed the blind. I'm glad that he healed the lame. I'm glad that he healed the deaf. I'm glad that he rose others from the dead. But if he himself was still in the grave, he's an imposter. He's an imposter. He's a proponent of a false religion. But if he came forth alive, and his disciples saw him 
ate with him, heard him, touched his hands and his side. And if 500 people at one time saw him, listen, they weren't all hallucinating about the same thing. They weren't tripping on the same stuff. They actually saw him physically, bodily, and they went to their graves, not for what they believed, but for what they saw. A lot of people have died for their beliefs. Islamic people die for what they believe. John, Peter, James, Jude, others, they died for what they saw. And if they wanted to live, they could have said, you know what? We were just making all that up. He's really in the grave. I'll tell you where he is. But they could not produce a body because his body went back to heaven. Everybody got that? They said, show us a sign that you're from heaven. He said, I'll give you one sign. I'm going to be buried and I'm going to rise again. Well, I don't know if I'm very impressed with that. What's God got to do to impress you? You're not impressed with the fact that he died in your place, was buried and rose again? That's all you need to know right there. You mean it's really that simple? If I believe that, that he did that for me and I trust him as my savior right there based on what he did? Yeah, because what's the other alternative? Mm, trusting what I can do, right? Okay, so let's put what you can do versus what Jesus can do and who's going to have the best work. In fact, if you could save yourself by your own good works, he really didn't have to come. He wasted his time because you, could, you had this worked out all by yourself. But since you couldn't work it out all by yourself, you needed a Savior just like I did and every one of us did. And there's none righteous, no, not one. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But thank God he has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of, all, of Saul. And God committed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That if thou shalt believe, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be Amen. saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Hey, listen, there's no difference between the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jews and the Greeks. There's no difference between the two because the same Lord over all is rich in all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what you need to do today. You need to acknowledge that you're a sinner and there's nothing you can do to save yourself and trust him to be your savior if you have not already. You say, well, I'd like to know for sure this is true. Could you do some kind of a miracle up there? <laughs> no, I'm fresh out. I have no miracles, but I'll tell you this. This is a miracle that we have this word. It's a miracle that he came to save us. It's a miracle that he was born of a virgin. It's a miracle that he, that he lived a sinless life. It's a miracle that he took the sins of all people of all time upon himself. And it's an absolute miracle that he rose from the dead. And he, it's a miracle that he'd save you and he'd save me. There's the miracle. Yeah. You know, and then, and then Jesus, Jesus went on to say this. He said, the people of Nineveh repented when Jonah preached. Why don't you repent? Here you are, Jews who have the scriptures and the temple and the priesthood. And there they were, Ninevites, Gentiles, 
wicked, vile, I mean, literally skinned people alive, just totally wicked, debauched people. And here they were. They didn't have the revelation, their, their light like you have. And yet when Jonah, the backslidden preacher of Israel, when he preached, they repented. But a greater than Jonah is here, none other than the Son of God. And you won't repent? The Queen of Sheba, she traveled probably all the way from Yemen or somewhere like that, that region of the world. She traveled that far to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And she got there and saw all the splendor of the kingdom and all the glory of his, his wealth and all of his attendants and, and all of his wisdom. And she said, the half has not been told me yet. And you just barely got up out of bed just to trance down here just a little ways. She traveled all the way from Yemen. And here you just got here just barely. And you're, and you're, you're fussing with me about show me a sign from heaven and you got more light than she did. She's a Gentile woman. You can't figure this out. And you're, a, you're a Jewish man with the scriptures. Now Jesus didn't say it like I just exactly said it, but that's basically the gist of it. I wonder, <laughs> don't you wish sometimes you had video with the Bible? Like I wonder what they look like right then. Like, I don't, I don't know. They did something with their robes. <laughs> I'm trying. Work with me here. Well. And that's another thing. When the spirit, an evil demonic being, leaves a man and he goes out in a desert place and he's restless. Did you notice that when Jesus spoke, he offered rest to people? But did you notice that the demonic beings are absolutely restless? What a contrast. He said, I don't know if there's a demonic world. Jesus said there was. You can go overboard on that, but you can also underestimate it. And listen, I, I think, hang on, is everybody doing okay? Is this making sense to everybody? Are we following along? Uh, I'm watching the time, but I'm not necessarily concerned about it. But, but, but anyways, uh, uh, I believe that as we get, as we do this, as we reject more and more of the revelation and the light of God, I would not be surprised that we see more manifestation of the darkness of the dark occult world in our nation. Jesus said, if a spirit leaves a man and he traverses over the wilderness and he, and he comes back and he finds this man that he used to inhabit, by the way, a believer cannot be demon-possessed. Do you know why? Because he's sealed or she's sealed with the Holy Spirit of God until the day of redemption. The Spirit of God lives within you, thus you are not empty. If you're saved today, you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You are, uh, you are, he lives within you or you are indwelt by the Spirit of God and thus Satan can't get in. But if, this man, evidently, never been saved, never been born again, never had the Spirit of God living within him. God was not inside, and yet he cleaned himself up. Swept. Did you read the Bible? Garnished. Woo! Come on, you didn't hear that. You got to see it. Garnished, looking good, swept my house, got it clean, been through reformation, been through 12 steps, joined a church, 
Learning a catechism, learning verses, learning this, joining the choir, did this, did that, got myself cleaned up, got my act all together. Looking good. Swept, garnished. But here's the key. Empty. And here's what Jesus said about that. He said, that's exactly what it's like in this wicked generation. Because here you scribes and Pharisees are. Oh man, you're clean. You're squeaky clean. Isn't that how we say it? Squeaky clean. Swept. I mean, not a speck of, of Gentile dust around here. I mean, we honor, we honor God. We've got the temple. We've got the priesthood. We've we got the law. I have you know. We, we grew up in the synagogue, don't you know? Decorated phylacteries, Jewish phylacteries, and the scriptures, they would say the Shema three times a day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our Lord is one Lord. And they would, they would chant that. They would recite that. I mean, to tell you, friend, listen, they were swept. They were decorated. I mean, they had their scribes. They had their Sanhedrin. I mean, their high-ranking officials. And Jesus was looking right at them and saying, listen, you may be swept. You may be clean. You may be reformed. But you're not born again. And you are empty. Because religion can reform you. But religion cannot Feel you. And thus that wicked evil spirit goes and finds seven other wicked evil spirits, much even more wicked than himself. And the eight of them come back to that man and inhabit the man. And thus he is filled with those demonic beings once again. And Jesus said the last is worse than the first. And thus they are bound for judgment. They are, they are in unbelief. And thus they are empty and they are headed for judgment. And there's a lot of people in America doing exactly the same thing. Oh man, looking good in church. Got the show going on. I mean, today the show was on in church, don't you know, and how they dressed to the hilt and how they had all the religious proceedings going on and, and they were nominally his followers. It looked like they were. They were looking really good and that might be some of you today that you're looking really good. You could even have your name on the church roll. You may be an active church goer, but I'm asking you today, are you heaven bound? Are you going to heaven, not just going to church? You need to know that you're going to heaven, not that you just go to church every Sunday, because you could be on the best roll of any Baptist church and not have your name on the roll in heaven. This is serious stuff right here. You say, well, man, preacher, who in the world could get accepted then? Uh, <clears throat> Jesus, excuse me. Your mom's here. Your mother and your brethren are here. Hang on, time out again. Time out. Jesus had brothers. Jesus was the oldest born of a virgin birth. Mary never knew a man but was conceived of the Holy Ghost and Jesus was born by that, by that Holy Ghost conception, by the Holy Ghost there in, in Luke 1, Matthew 2 and Matthew 1, the, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. But Mary did not stay perpetually a virgin. She married Joseph and they had James and Joseph and Jude and one more that I'm not remembering right now. It's in the latter part of chapter 13, verse 55. 
I know where it's at. You can see it for yourself. James became the pastor of the church, the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. Jude is the one that wrote the book of Jude, and he didn't refer to himself as the brother of Jesus because it would have been like a half-brother deal because Mary was his mother, but Joseph wasn't his dad. And he said, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to say that he was my brother, but I'll be his servant. James and Joseph and, and Jude and, and even Mary, I mean, they all, in fact, Mark chapter 3 and verse 21, they thought he was mad. They thought he was out of his mind. They didn't accept who he was. Wait a minute. If you could be accepted with God based on what family you was born into, I would think that James and Jude were doing pretty good. They were born in Jesus' physical family. How much closer can you get than that? And yet they had to be born again. And the skeptic James and the skeptic Jude, they eventually came to faith in Christ and became great followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But they had to be born into God's family the same way that you did and the same way that I did. Well, who can do that? Behold. <laughs> that include everybody? Behold, everybody here. Did you notice the father's not listed in that group? Because we've got one father and the heavenly father, but there are mothers here and there are brothers here and there are sisters here. In other words, those, okay, let me go back to John 1. As he came to his own, his own receiving not, but listen to these beautiful words. But as many, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. You say, I thought it said in Mark chapter, or sorry, Matthew chapter 12, whoso does the will of the Father. Well, this is the will of the Father, John would say, that you believe on him. It's not your works. It's not like you doing, doing this and then I get to be Jesus' brother. No, no, it's this. You realize there's not a thing I can do to save myself, but he came to die for me. And he rose again and he saved anybody that called on him by faith. And thus we preach because the Bible proclaims a whosoever will. You say, well, what about the elect? Whosoever means whosoever. He has elected, he has chosen to save anyone who would come to him by faith. That means you. Have you know my dad was a, no, wait a minute. My granddad was a Baptist pastor. I'll have you know, I was baptized by John R. Rice. I don't mean that disrespectfully, but he was a sinner saved by grace just like anybody else was. Now we've got our religious credentials today. But you don't need credentials. Here's what you need. You need regeneration. The new birth, which comes by grace through faith. Let's stand together here today. They postured themselves as intellectuals. They presented themselves as the religious elite and they demanded of him to give them a sign. 
But Jesus condemned them for their demand to have a sign because their unbelief actually left them empty and headed for judgment. Friend, today, listen, you don't need any signs. Or I could say it this way, you need only the sign that Jesus said that He would give, and that would be the sign of His resurrection. And if you will not accept the sign of His resurrection and who He was, and His resurrection declares and verifies who He was, then there's no hope for you. You cannot be born again. You cannot go to heaven. If you do not accept Him for who He is and the fact that He died for you and rose again to save you, there's no hope for you anywhere else. There's not salvation in another name. There's only salvation in one. And you need to know that today. And you could continue in your stubborn unbelief or you could say, well, I'll wait, I'll do that another day because I don't want to be embarrassed. I mean, what will people think? The main thing is what does God think? And I guarantee you this church will rejoice with you just like we did with Janie Coverdale and everybody else like Richie Davis when he was seven years old, way before we ever knew him. He trusted Christ as his Savior. We rejoice with those that trust Jesus as Savior, friend. Father, today, this is a passage very direct towards those that are in unbelief, maybe even religious unbelief, like a Nicodemus. I thank you that he eventually came to you and was saved. But how many died yet in their religious positions, but never regenerated, never born again? God, I don't know everyone here. To, I don't know everyone here today. I don't know if everyone here knows absolutely for sure that they're saved and on their way to heaven, but I know, I do know this based on your word that you so loved them that you gave your son that if they would believe, trust you, that they would be saved. They would be recipients of the gift of eternal life. And so I pray for them to come now. With every head bowed and eye closed, let me let me just do this before I close in prayer. How many of you can raise your hand and say, yes, I've trusted him as my savior. I appreciated the message today because that was one time me. I was in unbelief, but he saved me. Yes, would you raise your hand? Hallelujah to God on that. Thank you. you, may put your hand down. Is there anyone here today though that you'd say, preacher, if I die today, I don't know for sure. I, I'm yet in my sin, I, I'm not forgiven. I, I need to be born again, that's me. Would you raise your hand? I'm not sure, preacher, I'm concerned about it. Judgment is ahead, eternity is ahead. This is way, way too weighty to take lightly. Anybody like that today to say, pray, pray for me. Just acknowledge it. I, I raised my hand when I was eight years old, acknowledging I'm a sinner and there's nothing I can do to save myself. Is there anybody like that that I'm looking around? I'm looking around in the choir and up in the balcony and down on the ground floor. Is there anyone like that today? God in heaven knows who you are and where you are and he loves you and sent his son to die in your place and you can be saved today and have that settled. Father, as we have this invitation, please um, help those that maybe didn't raise their hand or I didn't see, would you help them to know absolutely for sure because your word declares that they can, that they have eternal life. And uh, then help all of us, even as believers, as we follow you, sometimes we struggle with believing you and want you to show us more when all you want us to do is just simply take you at, a, at your word. Help us now in Jesus' name. Amen.